stressed. Maybe I'm nervous or anxious. And so my stomach's been feeling kind of weird. But I was just thinking, like, if I don't give God the praise today, I'm just losing that opportunity. So right. we had to, I had to force myself to, you know, jump and to run. I don't, I don't want to. My flesh definitely doesn't want to. Right. And, you know, today we're looking at misdirection. We're going to talk about discipline. And we need to discipline our flesh. And that's sort of, you know, what I was thinking. And, you know, we got to really listen to what God has to say because... You know, my dad always said that, you know, we're alive and we can move because, like when they said to Adam, that God breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. You know, people say, I'm alive because, you know, I have oxygen. There's oxygen in the earth. My dad always says, you know, if you're dead, if God has called you, the doctors can pump as much oxygen as they want into you. But if God's called you, then that's it. And so I want to use this time that I have to really please God. And, you know, I don't want to let it go to waste. So I just wanted to say that. So hopefully today, you know, we won't let anything distract us, but we'll have a mindset and focus on Jesus. So let's go ahead and get into the Word. Uh, We're going to go ahead and look at Proverbs chapter 3 and verse number 11. Proverbs chapter 3 and verse number 11. And it says, My son, despise not the chastening of the Lord, Neither be weary of his correction. For whom the Lord loveth, he correcteth, even as a father, the son in whom he delighteth. So today, I guess the message of my title is a sign of true love. And we're going to look at discipline, the sign of true love. So let's go ahead and pray that God's will will be accomplished. Jesus, thank you, Lord, for this day. Thank you, God, for this time to be in your house. God, I ask that you would remove any distractions, remove anything that would get in the way from us hearing your word. God, I ask that you would help us to be set and focused on you. Lord, do something in our lives today and change us, shape us into who you need us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So before we looked at Adam and the responsibility that he had to do, and we looked at Moses and the endurance that he needed, but both of them fell kind of short in both those areas. So today we're going to look at David and discipline. You know, normally when we think about David, we think about the story of him fighting Goliath as a young boy. But today I want to probably shed some new light on David. and Or maybe you already know this story and it's just a reminder. And so... Discipline is something that we all need, not something that we want. Right. You know, I could say that I want discipline, I want the discipline that Jesus wants to give me, but really I don't. But we get the discipline because He treats us as a son. Right. He, treats, he treats us as His children. You know, we don't like being corrected. We don't like being told that we're living wrong. You know, if we mess up and someone calls us out on it, it's kind of like, who do you think you are, you know? Let me be me. Let me do me. You don't have you don't have the right to tell me what I should and shouldn't do it. Right. But if we don't allow Jesus Christ to discipline us, then we forfeit truly being a child of God. Right. Because you know, as a child or as a parent, you know, you not only bless your children, but you should discipline. There's that balance that takes place. Right. Right. Too much of either is unhealthy. Right. So now let's go ahead and go to First Kings chapter one. And we're going to look at uh, what David, uh, what David has to show us. So, First Kings, chapter one. And we're going to begin at verse number five. And there are a lot of names in this passage, so I may not say them hundred percent correctly. So, please bear with me. Um, 
but I've been listening to some different audio trying to learn the correct pronunciation, so let's just go ahead and read it. So beginning at verse 5, Then Adonijah, the son of Haggith, exalted himself, saying, I will be king. And he prepared him chariots and horsemen and fifty men to run before him. And his father had not displeased him at any time in saying, Why hast thou done so? He was also a, a very goodly man, and his mother bare him after Absalom. And he conferred with Joab, the son of Zariah, and with Abathar the priest, and they following Adonijah helped him. But Zadok the priest, and Benaiah the son of Jehoiada, and Nathan the prophet, and Shimei, and Rei, and the mighty men which belonged to David, they were not with Adonijah. And Adonijah slew sheep and oxen and fat cattle by the stone of Zoheleth, which is by Enrongel, and called all his brethren the king's sons, and all the men of, Ju of Judah the king's servants. But Nathan the prophet, and Benaiah, and the mighty men, and Solomon his brother, he called not. So we're going to go ahead and stop right there. So just a little background information. This is towards the end of David's life. He is very old in age, and in the beginning scriptures it tells us that they try to cover him, but his body just can't get warm. So they bring him a virgin to lay beside him, so that way she can try and give him heat. Uh, but that's not really working either. So we can just see that David's health is starting to decline. And Adonijah says that this is the time where I'm going to try and exalt myself and become king. And he had backing him Joab. Joab was the commander of the Israelite army. So he had like one of David's top men that should have been supporting David. Joab was now supporting uh, Adonijah. And then another guy was Abithiar the priest, or Abathar the priest. You know, this was one of David's longtime supporters. You can read back in Samuel that he supported David and was telling him. But now he's, you know, going after Adonijah. And this seems, you know, kind of interesting because at this point, Adonijah is the oldest son. So we can think that, you know, it's his birthright to inherit the kingdom. But he does it at an odd time. He does it while his father is sick and his health is declining. He's not at David's bedside concerned about his father. He's off with some leaders becoming and crowning himself king. And it tells us that they slayed some sheep and some cows and they just had a barbecue and celebrated. This is the new king, Adonijah. And so, you know, something seems kind of off. But Adonijah wasn't the firstborn. David had uh, a few other sons. And David's first son was Amnon. And we read about him in 2 Samuel. And we're going to get into you know, who he was and what he did and why he wasn't king. But another thing that we learn about Adonijah in verse uh, 6, it says, And his father had not displeased him at any time in saying, Why hast thou done so? Or we could say his father had never disciplined, you know, asking, why have you done this? Why are you making these choices? Why are you doing what you're doing? Right. You know, his father had never disciplined him. And I'm going to say the word discipline a lot, and I'm not actually talking about, you know, a spanking. Sometimes I'll refer to it as a spanking. But when I say the word discipline, I want you to think a correction or a teaching. So David had never corrected or taught his son. And, you know, like I said before, we don't like confrontation. We don't like someone telling us that we've done wrong. 
And I think that David was sort of in that same situation as a parent. You know, he wanted to be friends with his sons and with Adonijah. He never disciplined him. He never had that confrontation. So let's go ahead and look at his first son, Amnon. You know, it tells us in 2 Samuel chapter 13, there's the story of Amnon. And Amnon is saying that, I love my sister. I have this love for her. His sister's name was Tamar. And we later find out that it wasn't truly love that he had for his sister. It was lust instead that he had for his sister. And then he got some bad counsel. And then he ends up forcing himself upon his sister and taking her and defiling her. And we're just like, you know, how could you do this to someone your own sister? Someone you're supposed to love. You know what? And then later on in the verse, it says that when David found out, he was very wroth. He was very angry. He was very upset. But he never did anything about it. And Amnon had a brother named Absalom, the second born of David. And so this hatred began to just build up inside of Absalom for his brother and then for his father. Like, why didn't you correct? Why didn't you do something? And so a few years go by and this hatred has just continued to grow inside of him. And he says, you know, I'm going to take judgment to my own hands. And then he tricks Amnon to come to a party, gets him drunk, and then he has his servants kill him. All because his father never disciplined him. And then we have Absalom. David never corrected Absalom for even killing Amnon. He basically sort of put him in a timeout. He told Absalom, don't come before my face. And then a few years go by, and I think Absalom gets tired of this, and he's like, calls for Joab, and he's like, hey, you know, let me talk to my dad. Let me talk to the king. See if I can come before him. So finally, he's allowed to come before King David, and it says that David kissed him. Now that doesn't really sound like discipline to me, because I feel like there should have been something, a correction, a discipline to take place for killing your own brother. And then later on, Absalom is now the oldest, and he tries to take the throne for himself as well. It says that he started to win over the hearts of the men of Israel. You know, they started thinking, yeah, you know, you're, you're doing a good thing, you know. Let's, let's have you be king. So they were backing Absalom. And so you had men with Absalom, then you had men with David. And David had to flee for his own life because his son was trying to kill him. And so when David's leaving, you know, he leaves behind his concubines. And then Absalom gets some counsel and they're like, hey, you should take your father's concubines. And that's what, exactly what Absalom did. He, you know, he tries to take the kingdom, and then he takes his father's concubines. And then ultimately there's a big battle between Absalom's men and David's men. And Absalom ends up dying as well. So we have the first two sons of David. They have now died because their father never disciplined them. Now David did have a third son, but we don't really know too much about him. So we have the fourth son. He's now next that we can assume that he'll be the one to take over the throne. But behind the scenes, we all know that Adonijah wasn't the one that, did, that the Lord Jesus wanted to make king. He ultimately wanted to make Solomon king over Israel. So there was no correction. All David had to teach his sons was the consequences of their sin. You know, David found himself in a similar situation before because he took Bathsheba. He committed that sexual immorality with her and then had her husband killed. And then his son sort of started to follow in his footsteps. 
All he had to do was discipline them. All he had to do was correct them and teach them, hey, I've made these same mistakes. I've done these things. But there's consequences for that. You know, I lost a child because of that. You don't want to end up like me. you got to do what's right. So his sons could have been saved. Their lives could have been saved if a father took the time to say, hey, this is wrong and this is right. you got to do what's necessary. you got to discipline. There's a discipline that has to take place. And... You know, for parents, you know, I'm not a parent, but I have had two parents myself before, and they disciplined me. You know, I learned how to act in church because my dad sat on one side, my mom sat on the other, and then all the kids were in the middle. And then if we were acting up or talking, you know, whoever was closest, that's who, they would slap us in the back of the head. Hey, listen, you got to pay attention. And then after a few times, if we just kept ignoring them, then they'd take us to the bathroom or out in the parking lot, and then we get it. And then you're not going back in until you stop crying. Okay, so, you know, you just had to get over it. And then, you know, that's how I learned how to act in church. So for parents, you got to discipline your kids, sometimes with a belt, but sometimes with just a correction. And, you know, that's one thing as like a kid myself. If my parents ever said, you know, I'm disappointed in you. I was just like, oh, Wow. They're disappointed in me. You know, because you don't want to disappoint your parents. Those are the ones you look up to the most, the ones that you respect the most. And so you want their approval, like, before anyone else. But, you know, sometimes that confrontation, you know, that's very, very, very necessary. So, how can we really learn from this? What What does Jesus have to say about this? So, Next we'll go to John chapter 3 and verse number 16. I think this is a popular scripture that a lot of people know. So it says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. You know, we really like that verse. We like to quote that a lot. But as Jesus Christ, He came as... He rolled himself in flesh and took all the sin of the world upon his back for you and for me. And you know, I've always kind of wondered, why would Jesus Christ die for a sinner? And I would, I would often think to myself that, why would Jesus Christ die for a sinner? And then I began to think, you know, he's not dying for a sinner. He's dying for his sons and for his daughters. He wants us all to be in his kingdom with him. He wants us all to live in that joy, in that happiness, in that peace. Because with Jesus, that's what we get. When we come and we have sin in our lives, if we choose to you know, be our own king like Adonijah did, he wanted to be self-centered. He wanted to make himself king. He had the backing of a few people. You know, This is what I want and I want it now. But we can't be like that. We can't let our flesh get in control. We have to discipline ourselves and say, Jesus, you be the king of my life. Whatever your will is for my life, that's what I want. That's what I want to pursue. We said that right before. I'm free indeed. I choose to be free. It's all a choice. It's all a choice if you say, God, you can be the king of my life, or I'm going to be my own king. I'm going to do my own thing. Because when sin takes control of our lives, you know, we can't see it, but there's chains on us. There are spiritual chains on us, and then we just become bound to it. And then I'm going to try to, you know, hopefully this all makes sense that we are not able to live for ourselves when we have sin in our life. We're not able to truly be free because ultimately we go back to it and then back to it again and again and again and again. We become slaves to it. If it says hate, 
let's go, and you're going to listen to it. You're going to listen to your flesh. But today, let today be the day that says, God, I want you to be the king of my life, and I'm going to discipline myself because I need you in my life each and every single day. And in verse number 17 of John chapter 3, For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. You know, Jesus Christ hasn't come to condemn us. He hasn't said, you're good, you're good, you're a sinner, you're a sinner, you're a sinner. He didn't do any of that. He didn't come to condemn us. He didn't say, you're all unworthy because you've all messed up before. That's not at all what He came to do. He came into this world because He loved each and every one of us. And He said, these are my sons, these are my daughters, and i got to do what's necessary to keep them safe. i got to do what's necessary so that way they can have true happiness, so they can have true peace in their life. I'm going to come so they don't have to be condemned. But oftentimes we get conviction and condemnation confused. You know, the devil condemns us and tells us in the back of our head whenever a pastor's preaching, you're not worthy. You know, the person next to you is, but you're not worthy. I know who you are. I know what you've done. You can't fool me. can't fool yourself. You can't fool your spouse because they know everything about you. And you can try to dress all nice, but who are you really fooling? And that's what the devil tries to tell us. But Jesus tells us, no, I know who you are, but I can see who you're meant to be. How you're that masterpiece in progress. How you were a sinner, but that's not what you're called to be. That's what you started out as. But you are a son of God. You are a daughter of God. You are a royal priesthood, a chosen generation. You're not meant to live in this world. You know, with Moses, you got to come all the way out. Egypt has always been a representation of sin. But God, I want to come all the way out of sin. I want to be who you want me to be. I want to be everything that you want me to be. I want your will to be my will. I want to be not self-centered, but God-centered. Something that says, Lord, let your kingdom come and your will be done. Don't let me stand in the way. Don't let my sin stand in the way. Verse number 19. And this is the condemnation. That light is come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. Right. You know, that's where it comes back to that self-centeredness where, you know, I want to live for myself. I want to be who I want to be. I don't want anyone to tell me I'm doing wrong. I don't want anyone to tell me that i got to change. I'm happy the way I am. And so we end up condemning ourselves when we have that mentality. Right. Verse number 20. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest, that they are wrought in God. That word wrought means like worked or fashioned, like a blacksmith would work or fashion a piece of metal. So we got to step into the light. Jesus, I'm a sinner, and I've made some mistakes. I have sinned. I haven't lived right. I've been living for myself. But you got to work in me. you got to do a work in me, God, because I want you to make me into who you need me to be. And that's what Jesus is doing. When he disciplines us, when he corrects us, it's not abusive and it's not destructive. It's something that is for our restoration. It's for our health. It's supposed to be a healing thing. But a lot of times, you know, unfortunately, some people have been disciplined and by disciplined, you know, they've just been abused by their parents. His parents came home angry for work one day and then just let it out because, you know, something was out of place. 
Unfortunately, that has happened. But that's not the father that Jesus is. Because Jesus not only blesses, but disciplines his children. Not out of anger, but because he says, you're going in the wrong direction. Let me point you where you're supposed to go. Let me point you where you need to go. And, you know, that's how we know that Jesus loves us so much. And in Luke chapter 15, there are three parables. The first parable is a hundred sheep. And he's leading his hundred sheep. And then he gets to a nice pasture. They're all safe. He says, let me do a head count. Do, 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 one, two, 99. We have, well, somebody's missing. So he leaves the 99 and he goes to search for the one lost sheep. And then when he finds it, he picks it up and carries it. And he tells all his friends, hey, guess what? My sheep was lost, but now it's found. You know, and a lot of times... Or maybe some of you, you know, that story is not all clear, you know, because we're not shepherds and we probably never will be. So I'm going to try and give it a modern twist, if you will, is that there's a father and he has five children that are at home. And one night after dinner, they're all tucked in bed and they're all fast asleep. But in the middle of the night, the father wakes up to the smell of smoke. And realizes that the whole house is now set on fire. So he quickly gets out of bed and runs to the rooms. And he's waking his children. Hey, wake up, wake up, wake up. Go into the different rooms and waking them up. They're following him. And then he goes out and leads them out. And then they get a safe distance away from the house. It's now completely engulfed. And he says, okay, I got Billy, James, Jordan, and Sarah. Wait, 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 wait. Where's Lily? Lily's the littlest of them all. She must still be in the house. So the father rushes into the house and he's searching for Lily. He ends up finding her in her room all covered, surrounded by the flames just everywhere. So he picks her up, wraps her up, and then rushes out the door. And then while he's rushing out, you know, the flames are hitting him, but he's protecting his daughter. And so he gets out and, you know, the neighbors are now awake at this point and they can see that, you know, he just ran out and saved his daughter. They're like, Ooh! You know, because that's happy. But then, it's not that he didn't love his children that he left, but that there was one more that was still in danger that he needed to get. Because Jesus still loves the, the 99 sheep or the four children or whoever you want to think it is, but there's still one more that doesn't have it completely. So he said, I'm going to do what's necessary to reach them because they need my love and they need my protection just like the four and the 99 did. So I'm going to do what it takes. So that's when Jesus Christ robed himself in flesh and he put himself on the cross and he said, I'm doing this because my sons and my daughters, they need me. It's not that I don't love them. It's because I love them that I'm doing all this. It's not because I hate them that I'm trying to correct them. It's because I love them. That's why I'm like, hey, you know, you're walking towards this cliff and this is pretty steep and don't fall. So let me pull you to the side. No, I want to do what I want to do. Let me walk on the edge of the cliff. You know, because we can't see the way God sees. So he says, he pulls us away and he says, you know, you're in danger. Right. You're in danger. Wake up. Come on. Right. And come out. But we in our self-centered thinking, in our wanting to please our own flesh instead of listening to our Heavenly Father, we just think, I'm okay. The next parable is the parable with the lady who has ten coins. And she loses a coin. So now she only has nine coins. 
So what does she do? She starts cleaning her house, you know, checking under the kitchen table, checking under the chairs, moving the dressers. Where did I put this coin? Where did it go? You know, it's not that the nine coins aren't valuable, but ten coins are way better than nine coins. It's not that, you know, us in here, you know, it's not just all about this, but that there's still one more still out there. This is good. But 10 is a lot better. So I'm going to do what it has to, what I have to, in order to find that one coin. You know, sometimes we think that we are not of any value. You know, Sister Mariana, she gave this to me because I was working at the car wash and she gave me a tip. She said I did a good job. And I was like, cool, thank you. You know, all I did was load her onto a track because I work at a car wash. Push the go button. You know, but we're like this $5 bill. We have value. We may not think we're a lot, but we have value. And in the world, it just beats us up. And it crushes us and it says, you're worthless. You're not worth anything. And then it just throws us to the side, lets us go. And then Jesus comes along and he's like, hey, I know you. You're not worthless. You know, I see the value of you. I see who you can really be. Yeah, you have some wrinkles. Yeah, you're not perfect. But I know who you can be. And I know who you belong to. You belong to me. You are a child of the one true king. He is Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. And Pastor preached about this morning. He is coming, and I want to be ready because I am his child. I am all that he wants me to be. Amen. So, in conclusion, I want to read another thing. Hebrews chapter 12, uh, beginning at verse number 5. It says, And ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, despise thou not the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the Father chasteneth not? But if ye be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, Then are ye bastards and not sons. Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh which corrected us, and we gave them reverence. Shall not much more, shall not, shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the Father of spirits and live? For they verily for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure, but he for our profit, that we might be partakers of his holiness. Now, no chastening for the present seemed to be joyous. But grievous. Nevertheless, afterward it yieldeth peaceable fruit unto righteousness of them which are exercised thereby. You know, discipline is the evidence of true love. This passage in Hebrews warns us that if God is not disciplining us, then it would be evidence that we are not his legitimate children. So, with earthly relationships and, you know, with our own family union, We can think, you know, our fathers 
Hopefully they did it because we were doing wrong and they wanted to teach us to do right and not out of abuse or anger or anything like that, but that it was healthy. And it's not loving to passively let those we are responsible for continue in uncontrolled patterns of self-destruction for the sake of not offending them. You know, David's reputation was known as a father because in verse 6 we read it. He never displeased him at any time even by asking why he was making certain choices. So how can I apply this to my life? The first thing is to let the Lord correct you. Let the Lord discipline you. Because there are things in our lives that we have to change, that we have to make right. Because, you know, that comes with the territory. You get the blessings of Jesus and you also get the discipline of Jesus. You know, and says, God, I want my life to be pleasing to you. I want the clothes that I wear to be pleasing to you. So if God tells us, hey, you know, you should change your outfit. Why? You know, I like it. You know, this is in style right now. I'm looking fresh. I'm looking clean. This outfit is what I like. But is it bringing God glory? Right. You know, I heard one preacher tell us that, you know, sometimes with our dress, you know, we keep things back in our closet. Things that, you know, God has dealt with us. And yeah, we've changed, but it's just in the closet still. And he said, completely take it out. Yes. Throw it away. Because yes. you got to tell yourself, I'm not going back to that. Right, right. God has called me for something greater. He's called me out of that. So why would I keep it tucked away in my closet? Right. So that's the first thing. The next thing is we have to bear fruit. You know, I was kind of scared when I was thinking about this and about discipline. Because it looks like the word disciple. And, you know, sometimes I get words mixed up. But, you know, that's what we should be is a disciple of Jesus Christ. That we should follow after Him to be all that He wants us to be, to look like Him. And He tells us that whoever wants to be my disciple has to take up their cross and follow after me. Because when we're carrying a cross, there's certain places we can't go. There's certain doors we can't walk through because a cross won't fit. A holy lifestyle won't allow us to do that. So God, let me take up my cross. And if I'm headed in the wrong direction, trying to go out the wrong door, God, let your correction, let your discipline correct me, God. I don't want to end up going through that door. I don't want to be who I used to be. God, I want to be all that you've called me to be. To be all that you need me to be. Because I want to further your kingdom. Because there's still one more out there. There's still one more that needs me. There's still one more out there. And it's definitely not easy. It's definitely not an easy process trying to let the Lord correct us and trying to be His disciple. The next thing is we should be disciple makers. And the first person we should disciple is our children. If it wasn't obvious, it's our children. Because David didn't, and it ended up costing his kids' lives. Because of the decisions and choices they made. So parents, I know I don't have kids of my own, but when I do, I want to raise them in this Bible and do what God has told me to do. Do what a godly parent should do. That I'm going to take them to church every day. I'm going to teach them to act correctly in church. If it needs a flick in the head. Or sometimes just a, you know, hey, pay attention. You know, I know it's kind of funny, but this is serious how... 
we need to discipline our children, especially when they're younger. Because that's when it's easy to change them. That's when they're still, you know, finding out who their character is. But once they get older and they start making their own decisions, I'm going to listen to mom and dad anymore. Man, I'm almost big enough to take dad on a fight. I thought that one time. <laughs> but uh, I was quickly put into place. And I don't, I don't even know why I tried, because my dad, he was in the army. He was a soldier. He knew how to fight. So I was like, let me attack him from the back. So I jumped on him from the back. And I tried to put him in a chokehold, and then somehow he just flipped me off. And I was like, whoa, what happened? And then next thing he was on top of me, he was like, Rrr! and I was like, no. <laughs> but if we could all stand. We got to let Jesus Christ discipline us. And sometimes that means him telling us, hey, you're sinning. So what are we going to do? We got to come to the altar and repent. We got to make ourselves right. So today, I hope that today you'll find a place to repent. Because even if we aren't living in the world, sometimes we still do things that are wrong. Earlier in Hebrews chapter 5, it says, lay aside every weight. You know, something that's going to hinder you from running the race. Something that's going to hinder you and get in the way of your relationship with God. Go ahead and remove it. Because you don't need it. A lot of times those things are personal sins that Jesus tells us. And if we don't listen to that, we're just rebelling, doing our own thing, being self-centered. And that's not who we should be. We should be God-centered. Focused on Him. Focused on what He needs us to be and who He wants us to become. So today I invite you to this altar that you would repent, that you would let Jesus discipline you. Because we all need it. In Jesus' name.